another edition of Setting the Tone Interviews. My name is Elizabeth, and today Daniel, Lauren, and I are thrilled to get the chance to talk with Laura Ennis. Laura is best known to ER fans as Dr. Carrie Weaver, making a staggering 249 appearances across 14 seasons of the show, as well as directing 12 episodes. Laura, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to talk about this fabulous part of my life. So to kick us off, how'd you get your start in acting? Oh gosh, let me see. I, uh, as a kid, I always loved acting. I was always like the irritating kid in the neighborhood wanting to put on a show. And with my, I come from a big family. So I'd always be pretending I was dead and saying, do I look dead? Do I really look dead? Do I look like I'm crying? Do you believe I'm crying? You know, all this stuff. And then, uh, you know, went to a high school that had a great drama program, went to a Northwestern summer program for teenagers. And that's when I was kind of like, oh, I'm sort of getting away with it with all these kids who are kind of their best, the best in their high school. So uh, I ended up going to Northwestern and uh, yeah, and, and uh, really the whole time kind of amazed that I get to do this for a living. And it's kind of a cliche, but it is pretty amazing. It's just, and I never had any, I grew up in Michigan and I never had any like, knew anybody in the business or anything. So feeling very, very lucky, happy. So uh, I'm sure uh, this is probably fast forwarding over a lot of stuff in the middle, but what led to you getting the job on ER and what was your audition process? Oh, it's kind of interesting story. Um, long story short, I started, you know, I started in Chicago. I was in a play in Chicago that moved to New York. So I moved to New York. Um, when my son was born, my husband and I, and we'd been out to LA and worked in LA and, you know, had agents out here, but we were like, oh, let's go to LA and see if we can make some more money. So, <laughs> so we came out here and we thought, well, we'll give it two years. And if it sucks, we'll move to, um, my husband's from Minnesota and we, we like it there a lot. So we thought, oh, we'll move to Minneapolis. And I don't know what, but uh, anyways, we moved out here. My husband started working a lot and my son was a preemie. So I stayed home when he was little. And then I started working a little bit more, a little bit more. And as I got older, uh, my agents were sending me out for a lot of stuff. And it was, you know, I was, I was booking stuff, but it was all kind of comedy and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I remember going into uh, my agent's office and, you know, that was when you would get all dressed up and put like hot rollers in your hair and wear pantyhose. And I went to their office and I went around to all the um, agents and said, you know, when I lived in New York, I mostly was doing drama. So can you set me up for anything? It's kind of weird that I'm only doing comedy, which is fine, but that's not all I want to do. So one of my agents, they were all like a little taken aback. And one of the agents there, uh had right on his desk the breakdown for er and he's like and i had gone in for one other part that i didn't get so they kind of knew me mm -hmm. so but he hadn't submitted me for it so it was, he goes oh well i guess i can you know this sounds seems right so he submitted me for it it was really a 
big, you know, such a hit show then. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll never get this, but it'll be fun. So I went to the audition and there were like a, like a gazillion people, every size, shape. And I thought, again, it was like very relaxed because I thought I'm not going to get this. So it doesn't matter. And uh, I remember going, well, anyway, so then I went, drove home and my agent called me. He said, they're only bringing back you and one other person. And I was like, what? And so I went to the audition and Noah Wiley was in the room because they were already, uh, they were also auditioning like a girlfriend mm. of his, a potential love interest. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I got it. And it was originally for six episodes and then they just kept writing me in. So by the end, end of year two, uh, you know, my agents were kind of like, so what's the deal? Are you gonna make her regular? So yeah, that's how it happened. So that's the little life lesson, like, uh, go bug your agents, yeah. I guess. Wow. I, I think you're maybe the second person who said go in with that attitude of I'm probably not gonna get it, but I'm gonna try anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little too bad that you can't feel that way when you think you're going to get it and you're hoping mm. you get it. It's, I guess it's human nature, at least my human nature. It's like, you know, to not have that pressure. Yeah. Anyway. Always makes it a little easier. If only we could just channel that always. Know, let's do it. With your background in theater work before joining ER, how does the process differ when performing on stage versus TV or film? Yeah. Um, that's interesting to me because one of the things that happened <clears throat> when I moved here and I noticed this, I was getting things that were like three camera comedy or things that were almost like a little play. They, mm -hmm. You know, you use your old body, you're rehearsing, you're uh, performing in front of an audience. And so when I got ER, um, I loved it because unlike other film and TV jobs I'd gotten where you kind of sit there and, you know, cut, pick up, you know, touch ups, all this stuff that felt like so boring and lacking in momentum. That's not how ER was. Mm -hmm. So the skill set that I had um, as a stage actor really fit because we were always moving around. We were sort of choreographing ourselves with the camera operator and the boom operator. And it was very physical. And, you know, it was very interesting to learn all the medicine and all the collaboration. And the actors were just wonderful and not like um, very without vanity. Mm -hmm. And so the whole thing just felt incredible, like this little, um, theater company and we would all just coordinate i mean you've probably heard this from other people you've talked to but we'd we'd just be like oh wait if you cross here and then i hand you the chart then we can you know uh, connect these two shots so it used so many of my comfortable skill sets mm -hmm. because i was actually less comfortable with like oh now's your close-up you know that felt so kind of stiff, mm -hmm. but the way that ER works was a counter to that. So I love that. Mm -hmm. And then um, another thing that happened, uh, I was asking a lot of questions because my background is theater and I kept asking like, well, what are you lens size and why we're crossing the line and why can't we overlap? And so, and I would call the writers to talk about the scripts a little bit. And I didn't, I had collaborated with so many playwrights that I never felt 
self-conscious about doing that. And I really wasn't calling saying, like, give me more lines. Right. It was sort of like, oh, maybe if I hear about this later, it'll be better mm-hmm. or whatever. And they, a lot of the writers on ER had been come from the theater. So they were very um, comfortable and open to that. And there were all, a lot of female writers on the show. So there was such an openness to it and such a, an ease and like a high level of mental health. So I was very engaged in all that. And I can't, somebody asked me, I can't remember who, maybe it was John Wells or Lydia Woodward or somebody, they said, why are you asking all these questions? Do you want to direct? <laughs> and I said, no, I just, I was like, no, I couldn't do that. I said, I just feel like my acting could be so much better if I wasn't worrying about all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the directing happened. So then after a few months, or I can't remember how long, they came to me and said, do you want to uh, direct an episode? And I said, you're crazy, I've never done this. And I was very taken aback and flattered, but also just, it seemed surreal to me. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyways, they put me on the schedule and I remember having a meeting with them and going, okay, I've never done this. I am very frightened. And uh, they said, "Ah, you know, well, you'll do fine. (laughs) So. And as Anthony Edwards said to me, because then when I got the script, it was like a big episode. Mm-hmm. It was like rain and the power goes out and matching uh, onset to real Chicago, like all this stuff that's fairly sophisticated. And he said, you must be prepping in your pants. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about exactly right. Oh. So anyways, I prepped like crazy, like ridiculous ridiculously much and I got had great mentors Jonathan Kaplan who was one of our regular directors and Chris Chulak and like everybody there was amazing so then I did that show and um you know it went really well they just liked it right away and yeah the first day and in those days people used to watch dailies at lunch so they would watch dailies and then after they watched dailies at lunch I guess on day two, they came down, or a couple of the writer producers came down, and they were just like, oh my God, you're killing it. This is great. <laughs> and I was like, really? It's not horrible. And they were like, no, 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 keep going. So that uh, was an interesting, sort of unexpected segue into that, just because mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out that transition. Right. right. You know? So you touched on this a little, a little bit already so far but you joined the show in season two as a guest star before becoming part of the main cast so what was it like trying to find your footing in an ensemble cast that had already started to really establish itself because of how popular the show was and did you expect to be on the show for as long as you were uh first of all i never expected to be on the show <laughs> and <laughs> never ever and i thought i i really was like because it was supposed to be six episodes mm-hmm. and i was just like oh i hope you know, they don't look at the dailies and go, not so much, you know. So I was really thrilled that it was six. And then I kept mm. getting sent scripts and I was like, I'm still in the show. <laughs> I mean, this is great. <laughs> so I, I don't know. So I didn't expect that at all. I was thrilled. In terms of being part of that cast, I honestly think 
I would not have been able to succeed except for the warmth and the acceptance of the cast. Because I think, I mean, I don't think I'm like incredibly lacking in confidence, but you know, it was a fairly intimidating situation. Right. And I didn't feel like I was a TV or film actress. So, you know, it's a big leap. But the first day I went in, I remember walking onto the set and you, you know, walk through onto the sound stage and you go onto the hospital set, which was pretty incredible just to be there, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, and it looked so cool. And oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. And I walk through where the elevators are and Tony and George just walked toward me. And I was just like, very like, oh my God. <laughs> hide my excitement. Yep. And they both came up to me and they were like, hey kid, how's it going? And I was like, uh, fine. <laughs> and then they were like, you know what? They said, I'm probably paraphrasing, but they're like, yeah, don't fuck up today. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just started laughing and they Aww. were like, you're gonna do great, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that was incredible. And then it helped that I only had like two lines in my first mm -hmm. episode. So yep. I sort of acclimate. And everybody was just so nice. I mean, honestly, I have to say to a person, they were nice, welcoming. And I think you've probably heard this. I mean, you heard it on the um, you know reunion thing, mm -hmm. but it's true. I mean, George, Tony, Noah, Eric, uh, Juliana, Gloria, they all set this tone of just like being nice and real and any abuse of guest cast or anybody was just not tolerated. I mean, it literally was not tolerated. They would just pull somebody aside and say, eh, you know, so it, that's, that, it was magical in that way. And I'm sure there are a lot of shows like that, but since leaving there and directing, I know that there are a lot of shows that aren't like that. Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, I learned pretty quickly how incredibly lucky I was on all levels, you know? Did the dynamic shift at all once you were like added to the proper main cast and weren't just a guest star anymore? You know what? I'll say it. Not that I can recall. I mean, there's, you know, maybe I, I'm sure I was more relaxed. Mm -hmm. And, but they were really welcoming, like right from the beginning in terms of like including me in like social stuff and, oh, come over this weekend, we're doing this and such. And Juliana lived near me and she would say, oh, we're having a game night, you know, come over. So they were just super nice. Um, I think when I was made a regular cast member and we started going on those trips to Chicago, that really was incredibly uh, significant and bonding. Like the, we had so much fun mm -hmm. and there was so much, you know, eating and drinking and laughing and talking. And it was great because we almost always had very little work. Like you'd be there for <laughs> five days and maybe have two little scenes. So people were just having a ball. And, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, it was crazy because the show was so popular, mm -hmm. you know, that it was just weird. Like people would be so excited and like walking through the airport, 
you know, especially with the guys, like people would go crazy. And so, you know, I mean, you can just imagine like if your life changed that significantly, that quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, and especially back when it's still appointment viewing on one of the major three, like well before stuff really divided. I've thought about that so often because it used to be that thing like Friday morning, wherever you went, people were talking about the show. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember after my, maybe it wasn't my first episode because my first episode I did so little, but there was, maybe it was after episode two, I was in um, a department store like Macy's or something. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking for a comforter. And I'm looking for, you know, of course I'm looking at what's on sale, (laughs) what's too stupid. And I'm looking and these two women are over in the other aisle and they're like whispering (laughs) pointing to me and they're going oh my god oh my god and i hear one of them say i just want to slap her across the face i guess this is the downside of my minor celebrity but um and then i just remember being like super friendly when i was checking out and super nice (laughs) because i knew the character was a hard ass but i just never really saw her as bitchy right and i I guess she was because everyone seemed to think so but i like i get where she's coming from and you know she definitely was a buttoned up repressed person mm-hmm. and honestly i mean i think the fact that i was n- new and nervous it helped mm-hmm. that i could be kind of tense <laughs> yeah <laughs> because i didn't have to be like this free spirit who's like freaking <laughs> out and laughing i could be kind of you know contained yeah. which helped the transition that's but that was pretty weird it's like oh my gosh people like is do like we're so bugged by her uh, i will say it's amazing even today to watch how divisive a character mm-hmm. carrie is i'll say it that way like we're all team carrie we all we all sing praises but yeah it's you go into some of those some er has some crazy fans i'll just yeah. put it that way like still very but it, divisive. it has it but, has been um, really interesting though like for ourselves too, of like trying to like un- get a new understanding and a new appreciation for her as a character. Cause I'll be honest, when I watched the show the first time uh, years ago, though, especially that first season when you were just a guest star, I was like, Oh, this, this character is a lot. Like she is, she is a lot to handle. And, and I remember looking up, I was watching the show with my wife on the couch. And I remember I was scrolling through IMDb and look, I was like, how long does she stick around? And then I saw 249 episodes. And I was like, shit, I don't know if I can handle this for 249, but then she got so much better and it, it you, you know, brought so much to the character. It, it worked out, but like, it, it's, it's been really like eye-opening for us going through it again and kind of like uh, one of our friends who um watches the show with us he's watching for the first time and it's his oh, it's wow. his belief that if carrie was a guy she would be one of the most popular television characters of all time like he's like she would oh, she'd be right up there with you know your tony sopranos and your like he's like she's she's like this total you know hard badass who doesn't take any shit off of anybody but it's because she's a woman that she gets all this extra flag so just interesting how that I works think that's probably in the mix for sure yeah and um but i just remember thinking like very you know like actors do you just completely understand why they're doing 
what they're doing and you create a backstory for them and you know like just creating a backstory for her it made sense that in order to survive and thrive mm -hmm. in this incredibly rigorous male dominated profession she had to just uh you know be a hard ass mm -hmm. yeah. and so i think that all made sense but i remember um one time lit I, I remember i thought well they can't keep me on this show unless i do something nice once <laughs> <about it." laughs> so i would i was just like well i guess i'll be like a source of conflict for a while and then they'll like have somebody else shoot me or something <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that's horrible. But I really did think, well, something horrible will happen to her. Then I remember I got, I can't remember what came first, but maybe the first thing I got was an episode where I know sign language. Oh, yep. Uh -huh. And so I'm all of a sudden like, maybe I'll keep this job because <laughs> I get to be like super nice and know sign language and be kind. So, and then when they started writing stuff with Jeannie Boulay and I, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. And, and always watching Carrie interact with children is always such a, such a bright spot because you see her lighten up and you see just kind of that, for lack of a better term, more maternal energy. And yeah. she just brings such a, like, oh, I just love, every time Carrie's with kids, I'm like, okay, everything's going to be okay now. Oh, that's so nice. But um, you had touched on this a little bit, but how much of yourself went into the character of Carrie Weaver? And on the flip side, how much of Carrie do you feel like you took with you once you left the show? Um, well, I guess I would say the thing that the, the sort of shared territory with Carrie would be, I mean, I work very, very hard, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I've had times when I was acting or directing when I was working so hard. I mean, I had an actor say to me one time, stop working so hard, you're making me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> and this person was serious. I was like, are you serious? And they were like, yeah. Like they thought I was sort of being cocky or something. Mm -hmm. And part of it was like, no, I think it's such an incredibly challenging thing to do well that it, to me, it just feels like always interesting to keep diving into it. And um, so I think that's there. Perseverance, definitely. Um, I guess some ambition. Um, you know, I do think, I don't know, I guess if you're an actress, a lot of actresses, I think, have insecurities. Um, because to some degree, most of us are you know, categorized, marginalized is probably too strong a word, but categorized. And can it, can I swear on this or is it bad? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But there used to be a thing that people would say um, that literally I heard an executive say as I was leaving a, an audition where it was for networks. It was like a big mm -hmm. deal. Like if you got it, it's a big deal. So, uh, and it's all, and then it was pretty much all guys in suits and you go in and do the scene and you, and would go into network, you already have made your deal. Mm. So you know what you're going to get paid and all this. Anyways, so I was leaving the room and I heard this guy goes, she's, he said, uh, oh, wow. She was really, really good. 
but I wouldn't want to fuck her. Wow. And it was like, what? Lots of people want to fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I was over here thinking it was going to be some like, you know, mother maiden crone type casting story. And you come back with that. Oh, perfect. I was just like, wow. And there's a lot of stories like that, that most actors. And if you're not like a babe person. Right. You can feel like sometimes I'll look at the show and I'm like, I'm pretty good, you know, but when you're an actress, you sort of brainwashed. Well, like Mm -hmm. most all of us in culture, you're brainwashed into thinking you're less than something that doesn't matter. So I think um, on some level that insecurity that exists in Carrie that she sort of rode over with her brain and her skill and her talent um definitely can relate to that Mm -hmm. definitely and what i took from her i i don't know um i was gonna say a lot of money (laughs) 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 nothing wrong with that absolutely nothing wrong with that i mean um, i i think she taught me and the character taught me how to um just have endurance you know there's a david mamet quote um, making a movie is like running a marathon and mm. making a TV show is like running till you die. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of uh, accurate. Yeah, yeah. And the show, because of the density of the language and what you need to learn to do uh, with the medicine, and it, it was incredibly challenging. Yeah, what, was your, what was your learning curve like with that? picking up all the medical jargon? Well, I think I was so terrified. I I will say this is another thing that I think for myself and most members of the cast coming from, you know, stage background, you really learn how to do complicated things, Mm -hmm. things that are Mm -hmm. complicated um, physically, emotionally, just technically in terms of language, you know, you handle all different styles. So it became almost just a different style and i would just learn my lines like cold my poor husband i would just be like let's run him again i need to run him again (laughs) and i would have them recorded on the phone and in my car and then just run them constantly and do them when i was doing five other things because that's what you had to do uh, on the show so yeah that that part was really um i can't remember the question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what just what was your you know your overall learning curve? I mean, we've always heard like the 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 legend always goes that Clooney was always uh, had cheat sheets, and yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> a lot of times he he totally knew his lines, but you would really find like years later, this is part of the ER lore, like the yeah. yogurt cups with the lines written on them. <laughs> he, must, yeah. he must have like had some kind of special ink because like his lines never washed out of the sheets. They would just keep <laughs> like later, like years later, it's like George's lines. And I think the medicine, the physical act of doing the medicine was hard. I mean, I think I, you know, I got away with it, but I wasn't like Tony and Noah. They were just like, you know, magicians. Mm-hmm. And they could do all that shit, like, boom. <laughs> and me, I, you know, I went and hung out at 
UCLA Medical Center and another hospital. I would take home the stitch kits on the weekend and practice doing my sutures, all that stuff. But I was never as good as those guys. And the very first trauma scene I did, it was a, oh, what was it? I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyways, it was some kind of blunt force trauma to the lungs. So we had to insert a drainage tube into this person's lung. Mm -hmm. But the original thing was somebody who got shot in the head or something. Mm -hmm. And then the night before I was going to shoot this scene, it totally changed to a football player with blunt force trauma. And oh, wow. This I remember this. Thing, I do know, actually remember this. Too. Oh, yeah. And so... Of course, when I got the sides the night before, I was just like, oh my God, I am never going to be able to learn this. So work, 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 learned it, um, just like freaking out, but just did it and had a lot of times where I put my gloves on like, you know, this and so I'd have to hide my hands <laughs> on the table because my gloves messed up. So uh, there definitely was a learning curve, definitely got better at it. Um, but it was always something to figure out and work at. Mm -hmm. But like I said, Tony and Noah were the kings mm -hmm. of that. So one of Carrie's signature elements was, of course, her cane. But while it was a central part of her history, it was rarely a focus. What was the balancing act of playing a character with a disability, but not letting the disability define the character? Yeah, that's a very interesting subject and very multifaceted. When I read the sides for the part, it said she walked with a cane. Mm -hmm. So then when I got the part, I said, what's what like what's going on with her? Why does she walk with a cane? And they said, we don't want to decide yet. <laughs> so I was like, oh, OK. Uh, but then I said, and so then I, I started trailing a doctor who had had polio and used a cuff crutch mm. because she's this doctor. Gosh, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember her name. She was so great. But she said, yeah, with polio, sometimes your leg is stronger. Sometimes you're more tired and it's worse. So I thought, oh, that'll be good in case I'm not <laughs> consistent. Right. Uh -huh. Like I'm feeling better today. Um, and also I liked the cuff crutch mm -hmm. because I thought well if I'm going into every room I'm going to sterilize my hands then move to the crutch and sterilize how is that going to work so if I can hang it on my arm I can use my hands freely mm -hmm. so I went to them and said hey this is what I'm thinking they said that's fine you know so that started it and I think the idea that I was using something that was more um, uh, emblematic of a disability made it uh put it in the forefront a little more i mean it was a little less like house you know right. yeah so uh during that time i had i have a, a very good friend who's a quadriplegic and she she and i actually had done this sitcom together with louis anderson and he hired her to be the receptionist. Um, very cool, progressive thing to do. So we had become friends and, and she called me and she said, 
something about the character. I was like, oh yeah, I got this job. I'm so excited. And she goes, that's so amazing. You have to realize it's going to be a thing. And I go, what do you mean? Like, why would it be a thing? And she said, because you're not, you don't actually, you're not a person with a disability. So I was completely thrown and floored. So there were certain like pushback moments with it. And, you know, I did a lot of um, learning and contemplating and, but in terms of the content of the show and the original conception of the character, it was ideal in terms of the disability not being anything that was an encumbrance to her skill and ability and her heroicness at times. Mm -hmm. So the conception of the character was exactly right. Like it should be, you know, people, there are people who have various disabilities or are differently abled and it's not the only thing their life is about. So they handled it beautifully. I loved that it was rarely brought up. Um, I thought it was appropriate because in the world of the show, you would think, oh, people probably know who she is because mm -hmm. she's well known in the, this medical community. And so everyone's not going to be, and people don't really ask that anyways. But um, so I thought that was all really good. And also just dramatically, it was interesting. Like people were like, what's the deal with her? It was, and it also fueled the conception of the character in terms of feeling like someone who was somewhat marginalized or, uh, you know, had not been accepted in mainstream culture. Mm -hmm. And could that also fueled the um, conception of the character perhaps? as more rigid or more self-protected mm -hmm. and if and then as the years have gone by and i've become more educated and times have changed uh i don't think i would gosh i hate to say this but i wouldn't do the part now mm. you know i think you you just have to hire somebody who is differently abled and i think you'd go if it were up to me and, you know, when I'm directing something, we go down this road often. You find an actor that you like who's differently abled, and then you write the character to that person. Mm -hmm. So you're not writing. Because then there's a whole other complicated layer to it. Like, okay, if you walk with a crutch, can you play a person who's in a wheelchair? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you should. So it gets into a real heavy, deep thing about... A, a really serious important issue and so it was it was incredible and i was very fortunate and i'm very humbled that i got to play the part and it's a confusing issue because of course as an actor you want to play all different kinds of parts i mean you want to play you know be daniel day lewis mm -hmm. you know you want to do that all but it, it's almost like an affirmative action issue. Mm -hmm. Unless things become more equal, then, you know, you don't get to do that all the time. And I guess in terms of like individual projects, you look at it and say, okay, how can I create a more equitable um, world in whatever we're building? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I will say that we just just after we announced that you were coming on we heard a lot of feedback from listeners and stuff who are uh, uh, differently abled who 
wanted to express and wanted to uh, make sure that we got across how much they appreciated your portrayal of it and how much they still feel like it resonates and, and helps them, you know, in a, in a certain way to this day that, that they feel like uh, that character kind of empowers them to live their life without, you know, restriction. Yeah. And I got a lot of that too, which I was incredibly grateful for. And I think is accurate. You know, it is a depiction that is uh, uh, on this huge hit mainstream TV show of somebody who's very excellent at what she does. So yeah, I got a lot of that feedback. I was very grateful for it. I think in terms of like culturally where we are, mm -hmm. it was like, it worked then. And you know, now as we're progressing to more diversity and genuine inclusion, um, it's less tolerated and it should be less tolerated. Mm -hmm. So that's, but uh, yeah, I'm always thrilled when, when someone has that reaction. And I think that's accurate. I mean, yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll chime in real quick and say, even with, as somebody with an invisible disability, it's still a lot of Carrie's behaviors and resourcefulness still rings true, even for me. And so even to this day, she's still aged exceptionally well, and it's still, you know, helpful for me to watch. So. Oh, that's great. I'm thrilled to hear that. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because that was another com complication of her being uh, so people having such negative feelings about her. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. like, ah, I don't want her to be like filling some stereotype of like, right. or, you know, <laughs> person of witch or something. Yeah. So, you know, again, I was grateful that they kept writing for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. more stuff that was that didn't throw out the character but allowed for a broader sort of view of who she is and more compassion more vulnerability and all that stuff mm -hmm. so that Absolutely. was really nice for me so your character also got to work as uh, an amazing foil to some of the show's kind of most memorable characters uh people like abe ben ruby paul mccrane eric paladino and of course uh, george clooney what made Carrie such an effective character in that regard? And did you enjoy getting to torture those guys week after week? <laughs> I loved it. I really did love it. Because uh, I guess in, uh, now that I'm contemplating it, it, it is so great to be a woman and not give a shit what a guy thinks about <laughs> you, you know? Because it's like, there was no, there's no part of her that's like, I don't care what these people think. I don't care that George Clooney is cute. You know, Doug, oh. like, do your job. So that is liberating and fun. And then it also was just like, I don't know, probably I went too far sometimes, but there are times <laughs> where it was just so fun to just nail them. And then they, and the way they wrote it was great because the guys would be like, bleh, 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 you know, like, yeah, they didn't know how to. I I think there I think there was one episode recently where you threatened to shove your cane up or your crutch up Jerry's ass and what we were watching and I was just like it's like that's uh, amazing yeah <laughs> I know it's funny because Abe was kind of a sweet character too oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah oh that's really fun. yeah I loved it. Un until he blows up the ER then it's just you know oh Jerry <laughs> Jerry wah, wah. yeah. But I, I really feel like you, um, your character brings out an aspect of um, Clooney's character that wasn't there before you showed up. Like he, he needed, mm -hmm. he desperately needed somebody that could go toe to toe with him and could challenge him on things. Yeah. And so that 
dynamic yeah. and that conflict was such a like breath of fresh air at the time that like we so enjoyed going yeah. through. I know that that was intentional too. Uh, that the writer told me later is like, yeah, they, they, I'm sure they, they gave me that scene for sure to see whether I could go toe to toe with him and, mm-hmm. and hence with other people. And also they probably changed that scene at the last minute to see whether I could pull it off, you know, the right. stuff. So there was a lot of that uh, part of the process because they really have to find people who can do it because it, it was very rigorous. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like, no, you couldn't have sides on the set. You just got there, went to work. And there wasn't, a. I mean, we worked, you know, 13 hours, but there wasn't a lot of tolerance for working longer than that. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't know your words or you weren't like getting it together, it wasn't, wasn't so fun. Um, (laughs) Taking it on other things that aren't fun, but are worth going over. um, One of your character's most memorable arcs was was with Alan Alda as his character is showing signs of dementia and Alzheimer's. What was it like to get to work with him in such a powerful storyline? It was incredible. I mean, it's another thing. When you're on a show like that, there are a lot of characters. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, everybody wants story. And, you know, some people get more story than others. And that's fine and good and it was wonderful cast, wonderful characters. So when you get like good story like that, uh, it's awesome. And then that it turned out to be Alan was wonderful. And mm. he is, as you would expect, just lovely, lovely, lovely person. So I was thrilled. I mean, I was very much able to uh, have all those feelings about him. Mm-hmm. And you- he's an amazing human. Yeah, you you definitely ruined our lives in the best way this last month as we just went through that storyline for the show. So, uh, you you get an award for making me cry on Mike for only the second time in our six seasons. So and my first time. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh my god. Yeah. That's, a lot. <laughs> That's yeah. He's just like, you know, and he's yeah. so so smart and he's so so nice and you know, family man and not caught up in any nonsense. And and then I actually was able to direct him on West Wing as well. So that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, a gem. So starting in season seven, Carrie begins to come to terms with the reality that she is a lesbian. What was the creative process like behind that decision? And how was that, how was that idea first presented to you? And how did you approach it to ensure that it felt true to her story? Um, it's interesting because during the summer they would, or, you know, during the break, the producers and writers would have a meeting with each of us. And usually it was like kind of giving us a heads up of what they're thinking or wanting to get feedback. So, uh, and for me, I always felt like, oh, they're going to fire me. <laughs> so I got, <laughs> just because, I mean, it's a lot of people, yeah. you know, they, I mean, people left. So it wasn't like a crazy thing to think of. But anyway, so I went into this meeting with John and Chris, Lydia, all these people, wonderful people. And um, Neil Bear was there, I remember. And they said, so, and Neil's very, he's like, so, um, you know, we're thinking of doing something a little different with Carrie and um, (laughs) okay with it. And I was like, oh God, what are they going to (laughs) do? 
<laughs> and he goes, you know, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but, um, you know, we're thinking that, and he's like sort of hemming and hawing, a little <laughs> bit weird of a way, given what it was. But I guess because at that time, it just wasn't really a thing so right. much. Mm -hmm. He goes, we're thinking of having her um, be a lesbian. And I was like, oh, how cool is that? Um, that sounds so great. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like she is somebody who's not, you know, she's very inhibited in terms of her physical self, her sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, that's so, that sounds great. Like, wow. Yeah. And I remember somebody said to me, um, something like, aren't you worried about getting typecast as a lesbian? <laughs> and I said, well, no, but I'm more worried about getting not cast as an actor. <laughs> but I was way into it. My son is gay and from like a pretty young age. I don't think he'd mind me saying this. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I wonder what's up with Cal. And so I was very dialed into all of this way of thinking in terms of creating a life for my son that felt good and like as comfortable or as like, well, what do we do exactly? Like, how do we, you know, like where he went to school. And so I had read a lot of books about coming out and about, um, so I was like super dialed into this and super into it being like the Carrie's the double representer. <laughs> you know? so I loved it and it was super fun. I mean, it was really, really interesting. And I remember I read this book because I was like, she's coming out so late. Is that weird? And I read this book. I wish I had it because it was called something like, sort of like had a flowery title, like falling in love with another woman over <laughs> love past 40, you know, a lesbian guy. <laughs> Sapphic love in your 40s. I was like, oh my gosh, so I've read this book. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because these women were talking about just having this experience of making friends. This one woman who is in a church group with this other woman, I think they were 40 or something. And they all of a sudden just found themselves having these feelings of love and attraction and it was just beautifully written mm -hmm. and it made perfect sense it's like of course they're going to keep putting that away yeah and so that that uh kind of i don't know human experience uh seemed very real to me and i loved reading about people who had or talking to people who had that experience so it was, it was, uh, it was cool. It was funny how they were hesitant to bring it up though. It was kind of like, what? It's a sign of the times for sure that, you know, late aughts. Well, I know for me, it was, what was important for me was that it was like the first time I'd ever seen a queer person on TV that wasn't like either in a, like a Jerry Springer type role or like a Will and Grace played for laughs yeah. type of type of thing. So it was like the first like serious dramatic portrayal I'd ever seen of that. Human. And yeah. The very, yeah. So it put a very human face on it for me as a young person. And, you know, I 
came out as transgender later in my life and so it was er was having having that example as to like of the struggles and like being able to like relate to this to carry on a whole new level now um having gone through a lot of that stuff myself it's just it was very important to me, so I'd like to just, just say thank you. Oh, thank you. For, that for agreeing to do that. makes me feel wonderful. I really appreciate it. Like you said, double representing. <laughs> you got you got our house covered. You got it. Yeah, you get to go to a lot of award shows. <laughs> a lot. Checking a lot All of boxes. Kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah, and there there was it was funny because I did get a lot of uh, reaction from people and letters fan mail that was pretty intense like people mm -hmm. saying you know i'm not gonna kill myself now right. you know so it was great I'm very lucky and one thing i mean it was <laughs> one thing that was funny is like she wasn't it was good that she became sexual but it was mm -hmm. kind of good that she wasn't just like hot lesbian making lesbian, <laughs> because that's another kind of like no yeah. don't do that yeah so it's right. nice that she had this evolving kind of relationship uh thing and and she lives they don't kill your gays <laughs> carrie gets to live <laughs> no i remember saying when we you know it's like i was leaving this show and it was like i love being on the show i can't do this anymore Mm -hmm. can't believe I'm saying this, but um, I said, you can't kill me off. <laughs> you can't kill me off because I'm a person with a disability. You can't kill me off because I'm a lesbian who's mean sometimes. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, no. they're not, they didn't want to do that. I said, she has to have a happy ending. Right. But the, I always had girlfriends who were so much hotter than me. I was like, she <laughs> must be like, so good in <laughs> Because all my girlfriends were so oh, like man. Lisa the doll and um, mm. Michelle and who is the who's in the middle? Oh Elizabeth. Elizabeth, oh, yeah. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yep. People loved her and there was a whole thing with her. People had Kim Carrie fan clubs. And we get these Barbie dolls dressed up like Kim and Carrie. <laughs> so that was kind of fun too. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm just that yeah. just made my day, Lauren. Um, Lauren, I almost but, I almost and, feel compelled to bring it up because I know they'll lose their mind if we do. But there's a do there, there's a very large contingent of the fan base uh, that always wanted uh, Carrie and Susan to end up together because yep. there was so much because there was so much like mm -hmm. intensity and like kind of you guys kind of butt heads when she when you first show up and then of course you know by the time she comes back you're you know out of the closet and everything so it's like there's a very vocal contingent of the fan base that is like team susan and carrie as a, a couple that is interesting one one third of the show is one of them <laughs> oh my god that's pretty interesting they would have been a really cute couple it's why it's why susan never ends up happy with any man she tries to date and they kept like sort of putting her with Noah and putting her with a, it was just kind of like, mm. why not? That would yeah. be good. And she has such like a sexy voice for like, that would have been very nice. 
Yeah, we're we're good with that. Um, but going back to actual like important things, not ship wars. We we did talk about the directing a little bit, but um, you did starting in season five, you did direct several episodes. How does your perspective change when you move behind the camera, and what first interested you in directing, aside from them asking you to do it? Um, let me see. My perspective changed a lot because you have no idea like so many things in life, you have no idea until you're walking in someone else's shoes and, you know, directors would come on and be like rolling my eyes or irritated with something they were doing or why aren't they going faster mm-hmm. or whatever nonsense. Mm-hmm. And then when you're doing it, it, it's just like, everything's just flying at you. And that show had very long page count like a script could be mm-hmm. 76 i mean we had scripts that were over 100 pages wow. so that's a lot of pages every day mm-hmm. very very complicated show to do so very humbling very very humbling i always felt like bad for any icky thought i had about any other director um <laughs> and so yeah that was incredible and then you just learn how to hold um sort of organism works, not just your part of it. And you see like how much work has gone in during prep to this one moment that you have. And then like an actor on the set, like, well, I don't like this, you know? And I'm sure they're all like, you know, we've worked this out for a week. (laughs) So that definitely changed uh, my perspective in that way. And I guess in terms of wanting to direct, I don't know, I think, um, when I was doing it, I felt like I really knew what I was doing I, in, on some level. I felt like I understood storytelling and I was very, very engaged. I like thinking about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure um, if I was conscious of wanting to do it. Honestly, again, I don't think I would have had the security of confidence to do it. And we had some female directors more than many more than most shows, but still it wasn't common to have a female director. It was still quite a man's club. Mm -hmm. So I do have one specific question because you direct, you directed Be Still My Heart, the first part of like probably the biggest two-parter in the, like almost the biggest two-parter in the entire series. I have to ask, when you're direct, when you directed that episode, was there any sort of like collaboration with Jonathan Kaplan, who directed the second half, or was there anything like special about that process doing it the first, only the first part of a two-parter? You know, I think with Jonathan, he's such a man. She was always my go-to <laughs> guy. Like I would go to him and say, "Oh, I remember going to." I, I would run things by him that I was worried about not working. And usually he was just like, no, go for it. You know how to do this, do it. And I remember with the moment when Noah gets stabbed, like describing how he wanted to shoot it. And I said, he said, well, when are you going to see the knife? And I said, oh, I don't want to ever see the knife. I just want to see Noah's face and like what the physical, uh, what happens to your body physically when you're getting stabbed. And so... He was like, that's great, that's great, do that. And so for us, we mostly just had to coordinate the end. Uh, My end was his beginning. Mm -hmm. So I was like, where was Lucy going to be? How long has she been there? Who finds her? Where's Noah? Um, That kind of thing to see whether that worked for him. But he was, he was, I mean, he is incredible, but he was definitely my, um, 
mentor and friend. Yeah, that kind of leads perfectly into the next question of like, who are some of your favorite directors to work with kind of both as an actor and as a fellow director, like people that taught you the most about directing and you kind of modeled your, your skills after. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly Jonathan Kaplan, for sure. Jonathan Kaplan is just somebody who has such an extensive experience in film and television and anything uh, you, you, you can ask him any question about any aspect of filmmaking and he'll know how to do it in the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. So he's incredible. And also he's, you know, he's sort of rabbinical. Like he loves to teach people. He loves to help people. He's very, he's a wonderful person. So, and, and Chris Chulak, certainly he set the, set the tone for so many episodes and, uh, had such a distinctive and um, very impactful style. Um, I remember really liking Ken Quapis. Mm-hmm. Ken Quapis did a couple, and he's such a gentle guy. He he was wonderful, and he would say things like, "I remember I did this scene with Mora, and I think maybe Mora was pretty new to the show, and we're having some little conversation, and he had this note. He comes up and he talks afterwards, and he goes, "Wow, you would like her, right? Like she's so nice. You like her?" And I was like, "Yeah, I really do. Like I like her." And he's like, "Yeah, you like Mora?" I said, "I love Mora. Like I really like her." And so that was his note. So we do the like, We really like each other. This is and then he was the first director I ever worked with who went, he didn't say um, action. And I, he said, okay, go ahead. Which I'd never heard somebody not say action and I loved it because action makes you feel like, ah, no, I've got it. You can get so tense when you hear action. And you just like, okay, go ahead. And now I've learned a lot of directors don't say action. And then, of course, John Wells is a wonderful director. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is good at every aspect of this business. And he is incredibly egalitarian. He was so good to me. He was so supportive of what I did. And uh, yeah, incredible. I remember I was editing a show and I was in one of the editing booths on the lot and I walked by uh, an editing bay with John who was, I think it was editing one of, not George's last show, but one of his shows towards the end. And I sort of sat, he said, I said, do you mind if I watch for a while? And he goes, yeah, sure, come in, so I'm watching. And he does this thing where he says to the editor, okay, take out this score from under George, like remove the score. And I'm like, why why did you do that? And he said, well, it'll help the audience uh, separate from him more if we start pulling away those emotional, you know, tethering. Hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh. I don't know. That just struck me as so genius. Yeah. Just like this simple thing. Hmm. So anyways, yeah, we were super, super lucky. And Leslie Linka Gladder, Mimi Leader, um, yeah, uh, Jessica Yu. I mean, we had wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Is there a storyline or episode that you consider yourself most proud of? Hmm, let me see. Well, 
I think the stuff with the, I guess, I guess I would say a couple of things. One is like falling in love with Kim, I thought was pretty important just because of the way I felt like the writers honored the progression of that, that would be kind of slow, <clears throat> but then also fulfill the romance of it. It was traditional in a sense. That was wonderful because it was like, oh, everyone gets this kind of will she or won't she, you know, sort of bursting through romance. I like that. And I, and I certainly would have to say that Jeannie Boulay storyline mm -hmm. coming to her defense. And that was very, very important for that time. That was very important. Um, and this is, this is a tricky one that we've had to ask a couple people now, but as somebody who was there for so many years, you saw a lot of different iterations of the cast come and go. Is there a particular group that stands out for you as a favorite? I wouldn't say favorite, but there was definitely kind of, for me, two sort of distinct groups. There was like the original group, which was pretty much the A-team, like Bafo. <laughs> and then when Mora came mm -hmm. and Gorin came, and then there was, you know, Mora, Gorin, Makai, um, um, Scott, I thought, oh, everyone's leaving. And then this whole second group was so fun. Mm -hmm. Like they were like randy and fun and like, <laughs> like, like to make dirty jokes. And, you know, John Stamos is like, tells the filthiest jokes. So it was, it was like this whole other energy that was really, really fun and very um, different in a good way. So it's sort of like the really incredibly nice, wonderful, talented people. And then the nice, ta really talented, wonderful people who kind of were a little edgier and liked to party and weren't were so <laughs> earnest all the time. Mm -hmm. So it was fun. I mean, oh, you know, no complaints. <laughs> was it any different for you going from being the new kid on the block with that first group to being kind of the, the elder statesman of the cast by the time the, the new cast came around? Yeah, probably more than I am conscious or more than, I, I guess, more than I am aware of. You would, I, I, I think I'm very interested in making people feel comfortable because I feel like I know what it's like to be uncomfortable, um, accepting people who have different work styles, but also making it clear that there's a certain expectation of rigor mm. And, uh, you know, I won't say efficiency because that sounds so cold, but using your time well, yeah. because it, it, mm -hmm. it really was important. I mean, that we create an environment in television where people could not every night, but most of the time, like get home and see their kids and maybe give their kid a bath and maybe have dinner with their kids. And if you're kind of wasting time during the day, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So that means like more unhappiness, more divorces, more like the stuff you don't want. Yeah. So John Wells and everybody and Tony are very cognizant of creating that um, discipline. And with the new people, you know, they had it. But I think that's something that the original cast instills in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we've definitely heard that from a multitude of people that they were very much like the generals. So um you've kind of touched on this a little bit as well but like what were your emotions like when it came time for you to leave the show uh in 2007 
um, like I said, I felt like I was really ready. And I had this thing, I remember, I remember I did this scene that I had actually learned my lines really well. And we went to shoot it and I could not remember them. It was like, oh, my brain is not saying stop, uh -uh, no more, no more meningeoencephalomyelopathy. No, you're not going <laughs> to learn any more big words. So that happened to me. I remember very distinctly being more interested in the directing at that point mm -hmm. and also having a clear feeling like I cannot push another gurney through <laughs> these doors anymore. So I was ready to go. I was also super sad. I was very sad to leave everybody. I was very scared to leave that community. And um, so, yeah, I mean, heartbroken and ready. And I was there a long time. And I had a real clear uh, view of how lucky I had been. Yeah. But you know, there are a lot of actors. I mean, they every you know they great people come on all the time. So it's sad to go, but you know, none of us were indispensable for sure. Not not everybody gets to say they went from a six episode guest arc to being the second most appearances on the show all time. Like that's a pretty pretty good turnaround. <laughs> like, damn you. Yeah. No. Only like six behind Noah say, Wiley. He's just barely got Noah you beat. <laughs> I know, Noah. God damn it. Um, and one thing we like to do is we have some fan submitted questions. Mm -hmm. And the first of these from our listeners is, what was the experience like working with your husband on the show while not sharing much, if any, of screen time together? Oh, it's funny because he played like the evil Dr. Babcock. <laughs> mm -hmm. Such a good name for an evil anesthesiologist. And uh, Lydia Woodward, writer, producer on the show, she said, hey, I think I want to cast Dave in this part. And I was like, that's great. And what's funny about it is, that, you know, I cast him in West Wing. He did a part in West Wing where he played like a conservative, you know, mm. senator or something. And uh, the thing that happens to us is actually we fight quite a lot when we're on set. <laughs> but we have to go away and do it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, we we call it trouble in the sandbox. Trouble in the sandbox because with people who aren't your husband, you have to be more considerate. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but with him, I'd be like, "Why are you talking so slowly? Like, you know, pick up the pace or not? No, you're overdoing it. Stopping. You know, it was just like move here, Nat. What are you doing? And so we'd sort of go. I remember one time when he had this scene where we they discovered something. <laughs> Corday was discovering something in a refrigerator. Maybe it was like the vials of, mm -hmm. I don't know what he was doing, some horrible nonsense. And uh, I remember we went instead in this little closet, like a medical supply closet. As I said, we can't mm -hmm. fight in front of people. This is embarrassing. <laughs> so we're standing in this closet like, <laughs> no. So we actually kind of fight and have fun. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a little bit um, spicy. <laughs> I, I will have you know, every time he pops up in an episode, we always refer to him as Mr. Carrie Weaver. He is. He never He never mm -hmm. gets his character name called out. It's always Mr. Carrie Weaver. 
uh and just and, and just for me on yeah. a personal note as a child of the 90s i was the biggest hey dude fan in the world as a kid and so when i learned that that the mr carrie weaver was also the guy from hey dude from way back in the day i was like it warmed my little five-year-old heart it's very funny because we've had a couple experiences where you know back in the day I, i'm from michigan so we we're in some ice cream parlor in michigan and these kids came up to us and they're like staring at us like looking for me today for me today <laughs> for me today and they're like why is carrie weaver with mr ernst <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, so that's so great yeah oh, oh man yeah it's uh, pretty hilarious when you think about it that's that's excellent. And um, second fan question that we have is, is it true Alfred Hitchcock inspired the choices you made while directing the season six episode, Be Still My Heart? And were you happy with how that final scene came to be? Yes, it definitely was uh, inspired by looking at uh, Hitchcock movies and, uh, you know, images from Hitchcock movies. Because, the, you know, of course, he's such a genius obviously but so much of what is not seen mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. uh has the profound impact and dramatic impact on you so that's something we definitely wanted to do and then the sort of um um juxtaposition of like a violence and sort of a serenity so like Noah's close up mm -hmm. and he acted it so well. And we talked like very, very specifically about, okay, what's happened happening to your body, the blood's draining from your face, you're diaphoretic, you're getting, you know. Um, so we talked about that. And then the image, kind of the more overhead image or the image of the image of Kelly under the bed and doing a little pushing <laughs> on her that was fairly serene in a way. Mm -hmm. Was definitely inspired by that haunting i think is the word we've used in the past like it's it sticks with you 20 some years later uh, i'm not ready yeah, we're we're almost to that episode in our our main timeline so we're we're uh -oh. like we're not quite ready to get there yet um yeah and i gotta say lydia woodward wrote that episode mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i was just given this incredible gift to direct it and i was beyond uh just like thrilled that that's the episode I got because when you direct to episodic TV, even if it's a show you love, you don't know what episodes you're going to get. Right. So it's like, oh my gosh! <laughs> so I love it, and she's incredibly talented. Yes, for sure. So one final question that we make a habit out of asking everybody we talk to: What do you think it is important for fans of ER to know about it from your unique perspective? In other words, when you think back on your time on the show, what would you want fans to know about the experience that wouldn't necessarily be clear just from watching? Mm. I guess I would say the, maybe this isn't true, but I have a, a sort of theory that when you respond to um, a movie or TV show, whatever, you're responding to the um, sort of the world that it came from. Mm -hmm. So you know, like with Harry Potter, they all talk about how they all loved each other. And you're like, of course you loved each other. It's like, we feel that when you watch the movie. Right. But with ER, there was such a symbiosis. There was so much affection. There was so much of a shared um, sort of goal that I do feel like you feel that 
uh, in the shows. So I guess I would say like, whatever you're creating, like create the world of that thing the way you want it to be, and it will be reflected in what you're creating, you know?